you will remember, if you were here last week, that Jesus had just come out of the garden praying the prayer, Lord, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And what a horrendous wrestling session he had with the temptation to avoid pain. But once he got straight with the Father, he came out of that garden with absolute, total confidence, knowing what he was going to do. And it was at this point that the people came to arrest him. And our point was last week that he faced them. And he gave them the hour and the power of darkness. Remember he said, for this hour and the power of darkness are yours. And remember what we said. We said that Jesus let evil have the night for his own purpose. And one of the purposes was on a spiritual plane, we're going we're to take the dichotomy here and we're going to be seeing what's happening on a spiritual plane and what is happening on an earthly plane. On an earthly plane, all of the forces of the most powerful nation on earth were beginning to unite to destroy the Son of Man. On, an earth, on a heavenly plane, all of the demons of hell we're gathering, just as pus gathers in an abscess and finally closes itself off in its hardening and its gathering so that it can be exorcised. All of the demons of hell were gathering to see the Son of God destroyed. Now, I said last week that Satan is stupid and demons are stupid. And I truly believe that. I believe in my experience with Satan, if you give him long enough, he will show himself. He will always overreact. He will always show himself to be the destroyer he is. But make no mistake, Satan is still subtle. And many times we are more stupid than he. So let's not get too confident about this whole thing. What is happening now is that the demons are gathering and they are going to blind the eyes of the willing. Now, I read a book this week uh, called, uh, what is that? Piercing the Darkness. Is that, this present darkness, Piercing the Darkness. Okay. Tremendously entertaining book. Tremendously entertaining. Now, we've got to be careful when we read books like this because it's all about the spiritual warfare. We've got to be careful because... Such theology is very speculative. Anytime you start talking about demons, there's not a lot of theology about demons in Scripture. So you've got to be careful. But one of the things that we can be sure about demons is what is written in Scripture. And if you will turn to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, I'll show you what the demons are doing at this point, I believe. Those who would call themselves believers... And think of themselves believers are not really believers at this point because they have an attitude that Jesus can't deal with. In whose case, this is somebody who has determined that they're going to do wrong. And Paul writes, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving 
that they might not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Let me tell you what's happening right here. These people have an attitude problem. They're coming in asking questions, but they have the answer. They already know their answer. And they're not going to ask, they're not going to accept any other answer, and Jesus knows that. He knows it. Now, if they were at all objective, they had heard about the exploits of Jesus. They knew he'd healed the blind and raised the dead. These are 70 of the leaders of the nation of Israel. This is the Sanhedrin. They had Pharisees. They had priests. They had Sadducees. They had elders. They had every, every leader of the nation was in this. They knew. They had heard. And if they had any objectivity whatsoever, they would have absolutely no doubt that this was the Son of Man. The world has heard of Jesus. And those who are free from predisposed ideas knows perfectly well who he is. I read, here's your statistic for the week, or your survey for the week. By the way, it's so neat to have our bird back. You know, remember him? He was here last year. And then we missed him for a long time. Kind of our little reminder of the Holy Spirit. I never know whether he can see us or he just sees himself. Kind of like us when we come into worship, whether we can see God or we just see ourselves. I don't know. But anyhow, it's good to have him back. Um, Psychology Today. I was reading the latest issue of Psychology Today. They'd taken a survey about the ideal quality of people, the ideal qualities of people. What is ideal in a man? What is ideal in a woman? What do you think? They took a survey of their own readers. Well, now you know if you have read Psychology Today that the readers, the subscribers of Psychology Today are not the typical demographic slice. They probably are not your, you know, narrow-minded fundamentalist people. They have a grip on all that is happening and all this. Well, anyhow, they went down the, the, you know, I was reading all about the typical ideal qualities and ideal qualities of men and ideal qualities of women and what men said women were neat and what women said women and, and women were neat and so on and so forth. Anyhow, I guess to the end, here's the kicker. Would you like to guess who the ideal person is to the subscribers of psychology today, both of the men and of the women? Like to guess? Jesus. Absolutely. You think that's a believing audience? Absolutely not. Anybody that's objective, though, when they look at the qualities of life, can see he was the ideal person. Even non-believers can see that. But watch this. These people are not willing to see that. Look at the verses. Look at the, read the red here. If you are the Christ, tell us. It looks like they're looking for information. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. Emphatic, future, negative in the Greek. That's the tense of the verb. Emphatic, future, negative. In other words, I could tell you from now until the end of time and you would not believe me. Not you could not. That's not what it says. You would not. I see into your heart. It's hard. And look, and if I ask you a question, you will not answer. See? It's like, when have you ever asked a question, somebody a question, having a discussion, and they're so mad, they're not going to answer you. Well, uh, 
I'm, I won't answer that. See? Now, where is that discussion going? Anywhere? Absolutely no communication going on. And that's where these people are. Absolutely no communication going on. Why? Because they want to get past this Jesus. They've got a religion. They've got a connection with the world that if they can just get past this Jesus, they're going to be okay. See? And so they want to dispense with him. They want to dispose of him. And that's why they've got their mind already made up. They don't want to struggle with the issue of who Jesus is. They don't want to. And they're ready to gather in all of the world's power and all of the world's admiration and what they're already doing in the world. Not knowing that the accumulation of such will amount to exactly Zippo. You've, heard, you've seen the bumper stickers? He who, dies with, or who, who has the most toys when he dies wins? My brother-in-law Mark said, he, he saw one the other day that said, He who has the most toys when he dies wins Dot, 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 nothing. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, there's nothing to win. There's nothing to win. And so Jesus comes, and they're determined they're going to die with the most toys, with the most world admiration here, with their own system, if they can just get past this Jesus. Now look at his next sentence. This is what we're going to exegete right here. Look at his next sentence. But from now on, The Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Now that power there, the Greek word for power there, is not exousia, which means he has the right to sit there. Obviously he has the right to sit there. It is dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. In other words, what he's communicating is, look, I want to tell you something real important here. Real important. You're facing a power. You have no idea what you're talking about here. If you think you're getting past me, you're wrong. They are sitting in a court thinking it looks as if they are judging Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, no, wait a minute, there's another court. And you're not the judges. And I'm not the one being judged. I'm the judge. And you're the one being judged. You see, it's just the reverse of how it looks. From now on, the Son of Man will sit at the right hand of God and you can't get past me. You understand? There is no dispensing of Jesus. Turn to Luke 12, 8. This is the position that he refers to in Luke 12, 8. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men... The Son of Man shall confess him also before the angels of God. That's a courtroom scene scene he's talking about. The angels are the spectators. But he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Now I want to tell you here what a radical theological statement he's making. Look at verse 70. 
And they all said, are you the son of God then? Are you the son of God then? And he said to them, yes, I am. I'll tell you three things that are real important about this particular scripture that you need before you understand how radical this is. First of all, I want you to know that it is a Hebrew court that is asking this. Now, we've done a lot of watering down in our culture what it means to be a child of God. We've done, we have gone to pantheism in our culture because of the influence of, of Eastern religions. And we have been able to say, well, sure, he's God. You know, we're all a piece of God. We all have a spark of the divine in us. You think that's what they were saying? That's not what they were saying. If you were an American Indian and you went and they said, Are you then the Son of God or the Son of the Great Spirit? You could say, Yes, I'm the Son of the Great Spirit. And that wouldn't shock them because we are all sons and daughters of the Great Spirit. If you were a Hindu, And you could say to them, yes, I am the Son of God. That wouldn't shock them. Because we are all a part of God. Because God is everywhere and God is everything. But you talk to a Hebrew about the Son of God. A radical monotheist. One God. Every day the Hebrews would say, hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. And you look into a human being's eyes and say, so then are you the son of God? And he says, yes, you've got a problem. You've got a real problem. Because Hebrews don't believe in pantheism. Hebrews don't say, we are all God. And God is everywhere and in everything. Hebrews believe in this one being that is totally separate from the world who made the world without any of our participation, who is so far above us, he needs us for absolutely nothing. And therefore, when somebody says, yes, I am, you either have on your hand a radical lunatic liar or God himself. There is no middle ground in this question. And when Jesus said, yes, I am, here's the second thing I want you to know. Jesus has already said, uh, it's recorded in the Gospel of John, I am the anointed one before Abraham was, I am. Now, where have you heard the words I am before? Exodus, right? Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When Moses comes and the almighty God of the universe is in a burning bush and Moses is talking to him and he says, who shall I say sent me? What is your nature? Who, you are, who are you? Give me a name. And what did God tell him? I am. I am. When Jesus said, yes, I am, he was identifying with the great God, Jehovah, the God, Yahweh, the God of the universe. This 
was an absolute shock to these people. We wouldn't have any. I mean, it, was, it would be as if somebody came to us and said, no, I'm, I'm not a person. I'm, I'm actually God. I mean, I, I actually run the whole thing. No, no, you mean, you mean you're just you're a child of God and God gives you power and he works through you. No, 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 no. I run it. I created it. You know where a person like that would be? Uh-huh. He'd be stoked away someplace. So they were absolutely appalled. And you know what? We should be also. That Jesus would say that about himself. If it's not true. But the third thing I want to tell you about that scripture is that the full Greek phrase is you yourselves say that I am. What do you think Jesus was trying to get them to recognize? There is a spirit in all of us. One part of us wants to get rid, get past this question of Jesus. Let's make him a good teacher. Are you kidding me? If Jesus was just a good teacher, if Jesus just came down to tell us how to live our lives well, that makes him an idiot. He's on the level of a poached egg. I mean to tell you, if somebody comes down and says he's God, and we chalk him up to the good teaching category, we're on the level of a poached egg. You're either what you say you are when you say that, or you are a radical liar, lunatic, demonic. So therefore, when we say, you know, let's get past it, let's just call him a good teacher. Because what can you do with good teaching? Well, you can either obey it or you not obey it. It's up to you, isn't it? Huh? You go listen to things and say, well, that was pretty good. And you can walk right out of here and not do a thing about it. And what consequence? Well, maybe you have a little rough going because you didn't listen, but it'll be okay. When you put Jesus in that category, you're going straight down the tubes. There is no ignoring Jesus. You can't get past him. But there's another spirit in us, a spirit that wants to believe that doesn't want to be able to walk out of here with our lives not changed, that doesn't want to have a Jesus that is not so big that we have to change every day of our lives, that he becomes the all-consuming power and, and direction and drive of our lives. There's a part of this. Jesus is saying, you yourselves say that I am. I see something in you that wants to quit being God. That wants to quit being able to decide for yourselves. That wants to turn it over to me. And that's what he saw. But they didn't do it. They didn't do it. There is activity evil activity in our lives that would like just a little wedge to help us just to dispense with this Jesus character. 
that would like to make him into something special, but not God. That would like to say that we need him, but not really. Somebody gave me a tape of R.C. Sproul this this week, and on this particular tape, um, he was telling the story that he had taught Romans 52 weeks to this big class of people. Now, Romans is the most sophisticated theological document in the New Testament of all time. You've heard me say that before. Put great pressure on Bill Gary because Bill's teaching it right now. Well, you know, the, the Bible's always bigger than we are. So what we can get out of it is, is good. But here's R.C. Sproul, noted national theologian, teaching Romans 52 weeks. This is not a survey course. This is an exegetical exercise. And what is the main subject of Romans? Salvation by faith. He gets done with this study and then out of curiosity goes around the class and asks them the two questions from Evangelism Explosion. Let me ask them to you. If you were to die the moment you walked out of here, are you absolutely sure you'd go to heaven? Absolutely, without a doubt, confident you'd go to heaven. You know, he sent that question around that class and only about 10% of them we're really sure. Then he asked the follow-up question. If you stood facing God at the gates of heaven and God asked you, why should I let you in here? What would you tell him? And again, only about one out of ten knew the answer. The rest of them were all well, I've tried to live a good life. I've, you know, I've tried to fought, love your son, Jesus. I've, I've tried to, to just do the best I can. And, and I just think, you know, you love me and probably would let me in. I suspect he wanted to go, throw, go home and throw himself on candles or something. I, I, you know, that would be awful. It would be awful. He went home and asked his son. If he was sure, if he died, that he'd get into heaven. And the son said, sure. And he breathed a huge sigh of relief, at least my son, you know. And then he thought, why do you think you'd get into heaven? And the kid said, well, because I died. Everybody that dies goes to heaven. And he calls it the American statement, heaven by death, de facto, (laughs) heaven by death. See? Man, you know what Jesus is saying right here? He's saying, you can't dispense with me. You can't, there is no way you can get around me. You can't. Decide how you will get to heaven. 
because I am. You can't decide for yourself whether or not you'll take me seriously because I am. And unless you get to heaven on my merits, you don't get there. That's tough, isn't it? Isn't that narrow-minded? Isn't that awful? Golly, you'd think that he'd just create just a lot of ways, wouldn't you? Well, he created the way. And I think that's wonderful. Now, pay attention here because there's something in us that will still balk at the idea of being so wicked that we could spend our time in hell. As a matter of fact, most people don't even like to admit there is a hell. Most churches never talk about hell. And I see why. Because there's only one source in the entire Bible that ever talked about hell. Do you know that? One source. You know who he was? Jesus. There's the rub. You don't talk about hell in the Old Testament. Paul doesn't talk about hell in the New Testament. Jesus talks about hell. There's the rub. Now, we'd all love to believe the voices in our mind that says, look, you don't have to give up your way of living. You don't have to do anything. Just believe in your mind that Jesus is the Son of God. You think that's what he was saying? No No way. Absolutely not. Demons believe Jesus is the Son of God. Says in Scripture. He's saying, you gotta, you got to come through me. And if you can't believe you're actually sinful enough to send to hell, you've missed something. You know what? I know these are hard words. And you're going to walk out of here this morning and go, I'll go to church to get lifted up, man. That guy just, well, you walk out of here with Jesus, you will be lifted up. That's the thing, see? Let me tell you a story, true story, this week. Or no, I think it was last week. Um, you know those little Lenten devotionals we have, and, and uh, a mother was reading them with her little seven-year-old girl. And, and uh, they read one, and they talked about it for a while, and they talked about inviting Jesus into your heart and becoming a Christian. And the little girl said, well, Mommy, I've always been a Christian. I was born a Christian. And Mommy said, uh, no, honey. Um, we're all born to sin we're all born with that nature that we want to rebel and we want to do what's wrong and we want what's for us and we do what we know is wrong and we know it's wrong when we're doing it and that's how we are. And little girl said, yeah, well, that is how I am. I know I've done wrong and I know, I know that it was wrong when I was doing it and I just wanted to do it anyhow. But you always told me if I died, I'd go to heaven. And the mommy said, well, honey... Look, if you don't know, if you're not aware of that sinful thing, and that, yeah, of course, you're not at that age of responsibility or whatever, but, but as soon as you know it, in order to be a Christian, you've got to invite Christ into your heart. And the little girl who sobered up, seven years old, sobered up, she said, not fear, sobriety. Those are two different things. She said, well, man, let's pray. I mean, that's, I just, you know, that's me, and I'm, you know, so let's pray. So she got down on her little knees and she 
So asked Jesus into her heart. She got up. <laughs> and the mother said, well, how do you feel right now? And the little girl said, well, I feel real good, but I feel kind of sad. And the mother said, well, I, I know why you'd feel real good. Why would you feel real sad? And listen to this. Seven years old. She said, all those wasted years. <laughs> Did it rip your heart out or what? Here's the point. Friends, if a little seven-year-old girl can look into her heart and find enough sin and wickedness to need forgiveness for. Who is there among us that doesn't need to deal with Jesus? Who is there here that doesn't have to throw himself on the mercy of the cross? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we have heard it from your mouth. We don't need another witness. You have said it directly to us. And with the Samaritans in the Gospel of John, we this morning have a chance to say, we believe it now because we heard it from Jesus, not because we heard it from anybody else. Lord, I would ask you this morning, if there be anybody in this place who has not yet decided to trust in you for their salvation, not in one work, not in one thought, not in one thing they ever did, but to place their lives totally under your sacrifice on the cross, I pray that right now they would change their mind. I would pray that you would get in their face so blatantly right now that they could not dispense with you, that they either have to deny you or confess you. That is the choice. And for you who are willing to confess Jesus, I want you to pray with me. Jesus, I am a sinner. And there is nothing in my life that's good enough to bring me into the holiness of God. But you are. And so I want to say that this morning I place my life entirely under the protection and righteousness of your shed blood. And I pray that you will not only come into my life, but you will take control and you will change my life and you will mold it into whatever glorifies you. It's in your name and in your power that I pray this. Amen. Now, if we had not been taking communion this morning, I would have uh, asked you to come down front. But the mechanics get all mixed up. <laughs> <laughs>
Let me tell you something, though. If you made that commitment this morning, I want you with your mouth to confess that to someone. Come over to me and say, just say these words, I am. (laughs) Okay? Or go to any other Christian brother and sister and confess with your mouth as you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. Doesn't matter how you feel. Whether you feel kind of good or kind of bad, doesn't matter. It's just what you need and what Christ has done that is the fact. Feelings don't change fact. Let's worship God together with the communion of His Son, Jesus Christ.